Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The next couple weeks are going to be crazy in the sports world. Round three of the basketball playoffs, round two of hockey playoffs, regular season baseball, a golf major kicks off this weekend, tennis major kicks off in a couple weeks. There is so much going on, and BetOnline is the place to stop for all of your props, odds, bets, parlays, and more over this next crazy month of May. Use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up, bet online where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. I hope you all are having a fan-tabulous day, however and whenever it is that you may be listening. We have Drew Davenport joining us here today on the Take It Easy podcast. He is a new friend of the show, new friend of the show, Drew Davenport, here today. He is a fantasy football geek. He has a great podcast called The Auction Brief, which you can check out. The reason I reached out to Drew is because Drew is a 20-year practicing criminal defense attorney, combined with being a massive football fan, means that he's done a lot of the legal diving and digging on a lot of these cases. And the reason I found Drew was because he made a great thread to help explain the Jerry Judy situation that dropped as as what is like the equivalent of a Friday news dump. It just happens to be when Jerry Judy was processed and arrested in Colorado over a domestic dispute with his girlfriend and baby mama that ultimately on Saturday led to him going through the process of of posting bond and facing some uh, facing a judge and then going home the charges were dropped he feels like he shouldn't have been arrested it was more of a technicality in Colorado court because locking a car seat and a wallet and keys in a car and not letting his girlfriend access it was something that and asking the police to mediate wasn't something that could just go without a you know, registering a, a um, charges filed against him. Charges are going to get dropped. But I found Drew. I talked to him over the weekend, and there was a really interesting conversation about that and the Dalvin Cook case. Because remember, we talked about Dalvin Cook and intimate partner violence back in November. And it was one of those things that I said at the time. It, it's good to have a macro level conversation about intimate partner violence and relationships. And he said, she said stuff as the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case seems to be captivating the nation because it's two celebrities who have a famous domestic dispute situation. And it's captivating the nation because it talks about all these kinds of deeper seated issues. But because it surrounds celebrities, 
celebrity and famous people, similarly to how we talk about these things in sports, we can have a broader conversation about it. So we talked about Dalvin Cook and some of the, the legal stuff behind that that's emerged in the last like six months that we didn't really talk about much because we talked about it one time talking about intimate partner violence, the way that Adam Schefter covered it, and how, if you remember, Dalvin Cook had a story brought up back in November where he posted that he was being the victim of a domestic dispute, and then 40 minutes later, there was a lawsuit being filed in Minnesota against Dalvin Cook by his girlfriend, and there was a video of him basically trapping her in the house, and him, or it was him being trapped in the house but not being able to leave, and the video was very confusing. Anyways, so we talked about some of that stuff as the, the legal case processes with Drew. We also talked fantasy football because when you have a fantasy football person and he gives you 15 minutes of legal expertise, we talked some fantasy football in in May, because there's some interesting stuff going on, I guess, with fantasy football. So we'll get to all of that in a second. For our A block here today, it's larger than a normal A block, but it's still an A block, considering that it's probably going to be about as long as our 25-minute convo with Drew. Today, at the time of recording, Tuesday, is my favorite day on the sports calendar because I made a promise back in 2019 when we began this podcast, and really it didn't happen until November of 2020, or I guess it'd be September of 2020, because that's when it happened for the first time, is that nobody on the face of this planet recording sports podcasts in America about the NBA, which is an incredibly niche group of people, nobody was going to do better coverage of the NBA draft lottery than us here on the Take It Easy podcast because the NBA draft lottery is my favorite day on the sports calendar. Used to be March Madness. It's now the NBA draft lottery. I love the idea of the NBA draft lottery. I love that it's just a day for nerds and losers, of which I'm both. I'm a nerd and a loser. I root for losers in sports. I am just a nerd about some of this stuff, not the type of nerd that can give you deep factual analytics and like under like derive his own formulas, but someone who likes numbers and statistics and probabilities in his sports analysis. The lottery is perfect for me. I get to be a loser and I get to be a nerd at the same time. It's so freaking perfect. And the NBA draft lottery has now gone three times in like a 22 month span because it was September because remember they did it in the bubble one year it happened in September of 2020 June of 2021 now May of 2022 we've had three lotteries in it likes every seven months we've had an NBA draft lottery and it's absolutely amazing and we get to do the NBA draft lottery coverage live this year on the take it easy podcast because I decided this year the best way to do NBA draft lottery coverage similar to how we did the NFL draft this year was instead of doing a preview of the draft lottery and then a recap of the draft lottery the next day, because for, for people who don't know, back in 2020, I was recording podcasts at like 6 a.m. every morning. So like at 6 a.m. you had recording the podcast of previewing the lottery and then recapping the lottery. And then 2021, we kind of did a back and forth and we created a bit 
for the podcast. Oh, I should find that song. We made a we made a minute long song about the most wonderful day of the year being the NBA draft lottery. Um, obviously, to the the theme of most wonderful time of the year, the the Christmas song by I think it's Andy Williams. I think it is. I can't remember exactly. I think. I don't, anyways, we did the, it's the most wonderful time of the, actually, instead of singing it now, listen to me with, you know, I, what I can only assume is less than quality audio singing this song last year to commemorate the NBA draft lottery. It's the most wonderful day of the year. Ping pong balls will be falling, the lottery's calling to fill us with cheer. It's the most wonderful day of the year. It's the happiest day of the year. Crappy teams will be praying that picks be conveying to end all their fears on the half. Happiest day of the year. That brings back memories to the Anchor and Kind Master days. We were doing such poor audio quality back then. I was trying to record on my phone and you had to do it all in one take. So like now when we make the Anthony Edwards Ant-Man song, I can do it like piece by piece or making the Falcon song because we have like better. We First of all, we use Audacity and we have loudness normalizations and compressors and the technology with Believe and just forcing me to adapt and evolve. Our audio quality has gotten so much better since when we were recording that back in 2021. Some stuff from 2021 I like to save. So for for taking people behind the scenes a bit, maybe this isn't interesting, but just a quick two-minute tangent. So when we switched over to Believe back in August of last year, we got our RSS feed switched off of Anchor because we'd use Anchor originally to make the podcast. It's free. You can save all your archives and all that stuff. So when we switched off of Anchor, it stopped uploading episodes to Anchor but it saved all of our audio files. And so I log into Anchor every now and then to find audio files and I make new ones like when we made that that episode of um, traveling to Sacramento for the King's home opener. I thought that was that was done with Anchor and like piecing all the little episodes together because it's easier to use on your phone and stuff like that. But anyways, so I have all of our old episodes and all of our old audio files deep in the archives of anchor so like when you hear the nfl draft transition or we use any of the sounds from like the old 2020 2021 days which i guess is when we started doing bits was like during the pandemic because before it was just a lot of like hey i'm gonna talk into a microphone for 40 minutes straight and shitty audio quality and all that so like once we actually started learning how to do that stuff, that's when um, we, we, we uploaded them to Anchor. And so I just get all the audio off of Anchor. But anyways, that includes this NBA draft lottery song that we made last year, that I made last year. And 
you know, the audio quality isn't as great. I could have probably taken 20 minutes or 30 minutes to re-record it. I think it's better just with the shitty, shitty audio quality from 2021. Shows evolution on the podcast. And I also turned up the, the sound a little bit from the original audio file because we can do that now with improved technology. So here's my grand vision for the NBA draft lottery here today. At the time of recording this, the lottery is going to begin in about 30 minutes. So might not take the whole time, might edit some stuff in between. This should take us right up to the big reveal of the NBA draft lottery. And if you're an NBA fan who maybe just sees who gets the number one pick, or maybe you don't know the results of the lottery and you want to play along at home, this could be a really fun game to play because I love every single year going through the draft lottery and being like, okay, so, I mean, you're going to find out right now, but basically the idea is like, they go in order and as soon as you see the order not be correct, because they count from like 14 up to five and they decide who are the top four teams. So as soon as you see like, so for example, this year, the order is Cleveland, then the next team that should get revealed is Charlotte. And then the next team is the Clippers. The next team is the New York Knicks. The next team is Washington. The next team is San Antonio. Then the Lakers. Then Sacramento. Then Portland. Then Indiana. Then OKC. Then Detroit. Then Houston. Or then Orlando. Then Houston. So basically it should go in order. But like, say we're watching the lottery and it goes Cleveland, Charlotte, Clippers, New York, San Antonio... Well, then we automatically know, oh shit, Washington just jumped into the top four. Now, what are the chances that Washington jumps into the top four? Good question, you may ask, listener at home. You're very inquisitive. There's a 14% chance that Washington, sitting with the 10th best odds in the lottery, there's a 14% chance that they end up anywhere inside the top four. And then the odds keep going down from there, etc., etc., etc. And... One, it goes kind of quickly, but in your head, you can calculate who's in the top four. So like, say San Antonio comes up at 10. Okay, we know Washington is in the top four. Then the Lakers come up. Then Sacramento comes up because there's no way Sacramento is getting good luck in the lottery. So Sacramento comes up eighth. Then Oklahoma City shows up. Say Oklahoma City, who has the fourth best odds, shows up at number six. Well, all of a sudden, you now know that Indiana and Portland just jumped into the top three also. So, or I guess Oklahoma City would be seven in this example. So now you know Indiana and Portland are both in the top four. And then you have, say, the next one that comes up is Detroit. And the next one who comes up is Orlando. So then you know Houston just ended up in the top four picks in the NBA lottery, then they go to commercial, then they come back from commercial, and then they do the final four teams, and you find out who the top of the order is. So that's kind of the fun of doing it. You'll see when they go 14 to 5, once we start doing that in a little bit, that it'll get fun, because very quickly I'll be like, okay, this one's Cleveland. Boom, it's Cleveland. This one's Charlotte. Boom, it's Charlotte. This one's Clippers. Boom, it's Clippers. This one's Knicks. Oh no, it's Washington. That means the Knicks have a top four pick in the draft. It's very fun. I might be a nerd about this shit. It's very, very fun. And I'm very, very excited to play this game. So, some more information to know before the draft lottery starts. So that's kind of how the game works. 
So how do the odds get determined? Well, the NBA changed their odds board as of the Zion Williamson draft four years ago to deter tanking. So now the top three teams all have the same odds of ending up in the top four. Who are the top three teams this year, you might ask? Great question. Top three teams this year are Houston, Orlando, and Detroit. Those were the worst records in the NBA. They all have an equal chance of ending up at the top of the lottery. Houston can fall no further than five. Orlando can fall no further than pick number six. Detroit can fall no further than pick number seven. If you want the full odds, you can check out tankathon.com. But here's just a basic idea here. Houston, Orlando, and Detroit at the top of the draft have a 52% chance of ending up with a top four pick. They have a 48% chance of ending up outside of the top four. Now, for Houston, if they fall out of the top four, they have to be pick five. Orlando, it's about 50-50 whether they end up at pick five or pick seven. Not quite 50-50. The exact number is about 55-45. Orlando, more likely to finish fifth or sixth than sixth. It's, it's relatively similar. Detroit, oddly enough, more likely to finish sixth than they are to finish fifth. It's a weird way that the lottery works for the fourth team is that they're more likely to fall two slots than they are to just fall, or sorry, they're more likely to fall three slots than they are to fall two slots just because of how crazy it is that, you know, the odds that Oklahoma City jumps over them and that Orlando and Houston both don't end up at the top of the draft. It's weird how they set up the draft lottery in this new little game. So then you have Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City is most likely to end up with the sixth pick in the draft, which is really weird in the NBA draft lottery odds. Now, it's the best odds possible given their draft position. You, there, there's no situation where you want a lower draft position than a higher draft position. They haven't set up the lottery in that way yet. What's weird is that Oklahoma City is sitting at number four as the fourth best odds at the number one pick. And they have approximately a, what is it, one, two, three, four, five, so 11, 12, sorry, I'm doing quick math in my head here. They have about a 48% chance of ending up in the top four. So 50-50 chance that OKC stays in the top four. What's interesting is that the most likely spot for them to land on is six. So it's more likely than not that OKC falls, or I'm sorry, the most likely situation is that OKC falls down a spot than they are to stay in the spot that they are right now. It's a really interesting way that works out. And then everyone else, kind of similar odds down the road. Indiana, fifth best odds, fifth worst record in the league. 10.5% across the board. Portland, 9%. Sacramento, 7.5. Up to better odds at the fit at the fourth pick at 8.5, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The Lakers pick, which is we'll talk about that in a second. Lakers, 6% chance. San Antonio, 4.5. Washington, 3% chance. New York, 2% chance. Clippers, 1% chance of ending up with the number one pick or sorry, 1.5, Charlotte, uh, 1.0, and Cleveland, 0.5%. Now, every year, especially in the super team switching era, every year, teams have pick swaps 
that are determined based on the position that teams end up in the NBA draft, you or the draft lottery. You may remember back in the magical baby Laker days of my childhood that every year Lakers fans would be like, we have to get a top five pick. We have to get a top five pick. We have to get a top five pick. Otherwise our pick will go to Orlando or our pick will go to Philadelphia. We have to get a top five pick because the Dwight Howard trade had all kinds of lottery stipulations to it. And lucky for the Lakers, they they hit pretty much every year. Brandon Ingram year, they got the two pick. Lonzo Ball year, they got the two pick. They kind of lucked out for them pretty much every year. They had to have a pick convey. 2017 didn't work out. Their pick went to um, 2017 or 2018, whichever year it was. Their pick ended up going to Philadelphia. And Philadelphia ended up having... I think I think they traded the pick to Phoenix so Phoenix could get Michael Bridges. But point still stands. Every year there's always a team that could get a pick or not get a pick. Interestingly, this year there is basically no circumstance in which teams will get their pick or not get their pick. There are two picks that are going to get traded here tonight. The Clippers at number 12, their pick is going to Oklahoma City. That is period, final, game over, set in stone. No matter what happens in the draft lottery, it is an unprotected draft pick going to Oklahoma City. It is comp- like so so basically it is a 8% chance. It's an 8% chance that Oklahoma City gets a second top 4 pick in the lottery tonight. Remember what we said earlier with the fourth best odds, Oklahoma city had a 50, 50 chance of getting a top pick in the draft. It was about 50, 50, not perfectly 50, 50, about 50, 50. They have another 8% chance of getting a top pick coming out of the draft, courtesy of the Los Angeles Clippers. Thank you. Paul George trade unprotected first round pick in 2022 conveying for Oklahoma city. StatMuse had the great stat that Oklahoma City has 38 draft picks over the next eight years. I assume they will package some of those to get a better player. Last year, underreported but I thought fun, they offered Detroit Shai Gilgis-Alexander and the sixth pick that became Josh Giddy for Cade Cunningham. Detroit said no. Interesting that they put the offer on the table, though. So Oklahoma City gets the Clippers pick. I said Clippers earlier for the sake of remember that the Clippers lost that play-in game to the, Mem- to the Minnesota Timberwolves where they were throwing jerseys and crying on the court and kissing babies and all that stuff that makes them losers and we love them so much. Remember that Clipper team that missed the playoffs? Yeah, their draft pick's going to Oklahoma City. Lakers, their draft pick is guaranteed to not belong to the Lakers. And there is a 99.6% chance that that draft pick is going to the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, we had to give it 99.6 because there is only one scenario in which the draft pick does not go to the New Orleans Pelicans. Let us give you the context of this trade. Obviously, when you hear Lakers and Pelicans... Yes, the draft pick was traded for Anthony Davis. It was a 2022 first-round draft pick completely unprotected in the Anthony Davis trade. 
or I believe this might actually be a pick swap in, in actuality. I'm not 100% sure how this one conveys. Basically, the idea is the Lakers gave a pick to the New Orleans Pelicans, and the Pelicans, with no protections on the pick, get the Lakers' 2022 first-rounder. New Orleans then traded that pick to the Memphis Grizzlies in the trade for Jonas Valanciunas that sent Steven Adams over to the Memphis Grizzlies. I think Eric Bledsoe was also in that trade. And that top 10 pick, or that pick was top 10 protected. Well, lo and behold, after the end of the season, the Lakers had a cataclysmically bad season. Just an absolute dumpster fire of a season that I think the Grizzlies were like, yeah, sure, there's no way the Lakers can miss the playoffs. You can have top 10 protections. Well, looky here, shit. The Lakers have the 8th best odds at getting the number one pick in the NBA draft, which means that the only scenario that the Lakers fall outside of the top 10 is if four of San Antonio, Washington, New York, the Clippers, Charlotte, and Cleveland end up jumping into the top 10. If we have uh, the most insane draft lottery in the history of draft lotteries, and that includes the year that the Orlando Magic in 1993 had the worst odds in the lottery, and they got to go up to the number one pick in the entire draft. Do you know what the odds are that four teams in that bottom six are going to jump into the top four? It's one in 250. There's a one in 250 chance that that is going to happen in this lottery that's about to start in 15 minutes. So unless this one in 250 chance happens, Lakers pick going to the Pelicans. So the Pelicans get a chance to jump into the top four. What is the chance that the Pelicans jump into the top four? I'm glad you asked, inquisitive fan listening to this here podcast. The New Orleans Pelicans have roughly a 25% chance of jumping up to the top four in the draft. They have a 6% chance of getting the number one pick, a 6.3 chance of getting the two pick, 6.7% chance of getting the three pick, 7.2% chance of getting the number four pick. 25%. And the Los Angeles Lakers get nothing out of this. So, There are some familiar faces here in the draft. Sacramento, San Antonio, uh, New York, they are subscribing to the theory of if you end up in the draft lottery long enough, eventually you are going to get, (laughs) you're going to get lucky and get a top four pick. Charlotte was at the bottom of the lottery forever. Charlotte spent, uh, we called it, we joked it was Kemba Walker purgatory, which is basically the pick that Charlotte has now, which is the 13 pick in the NBA draft. Charlotte for years had pick 11 through 14 in the NBA draft. And every year they took a player who was pretty good, but not great. So one year it was Malik Monk. One year it was Miles Bridges with the 12 pick. So Malik Monk was the 11 pick. Miles Bridges, 12. PJ Washington pick 13. They just kind of did this year after year where they just kept barely missing the playoffs and they just kept drafting a player somewhere with that pick. And 
eventually Charlotte decided uh, that they the, the year after Kemba Walker left, they ended up going to the bottom of the lottery and signing Gordon Hayward and trading for Terry Rozier. And that year they happened to get lucky. This was 2020. They got lucky from the 7.5 spot, which is basically a seventh best odds in the lottery. Charlotte jumped into the top three. And thanks to the Golden State Warriors making one of the worst draft decisions of the last five years in picking James Wiseman over LaMelo Ball, Charlotte got lucky. They got to the top of the draft. It was their one top draft pick in the last 20 years. I think like their highest draft pick since like Adam Morrison or Michael Kidd Gilchrist at pick two in 2012. Charlotte ended up getting LaMelo Ball. Last year, the Toronto Raptors were playing in Tampa Bay. They tanked. And Toronto ended up jumping to number four, drafting Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes ends up winning Rookie of the Year, changes the fortunes of the Toronto Raptors. They win 48 games. A lot of teams can have that chance. Sacramento can have that chance. Portland really wants that chance. Portland tanked the entire end of the season just to try and get a generational young person to pair around Damian Lillard. They traded C.J. McCollum as part of that rebuild around Damian Lillard, where now it's like, here's Josh Hart. Here's Joe Ingles. Here's name a fourth person on the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, they still have... No, they traded Norman Powell, too. Forgot who they got in that trade, but they traded Norman Powell. So Portland pretty much is trying to capture that luck of getting Chet Holmgren to pair with Damian Lillard. And that might be a, f- a three, four-year project. It's just convincing. It's like getting an asset in a season where the year is already lost. Um, Indiana, same case. Indiana tanked this year. They're trying to get to the top of the lottery. Orlando, Houston, Detroit, and Oklahoma City are going through like four years of losing and tearing down. It's interesting. San Antonio has been in this purgatory for years now, too. It's why I say that the 9-10 play-in game should now be renamed the Greg Popovich Memorial 9-10 play-in game because for the past four years, the quote-unquote greatest coach in the history of the NBA has uh, pretty much just tanked his team's chances. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty bad. They're pretty bad. So yeah, San Antonio. San Antonio has 4.5% chance at the number one pick, ninth best odds. Maybe this is the year for San Antonio. Maybe they get lucky. Maybe they get a top pick. Maybe they can actually bring talented players instead of like more Malik Monks or PJ Washingtons or Miles Bridges, even though Miles Bridges is really good. You know, maybe this is the year that they end up not drafting a Devin Vassell, even though I thought that was a good pick in 2020. Or this is the year that they don't draft Lonnie Walker uh, with their top draft pick. Or I forgot who they ended up taking last year. Who who was their meaningless pick that they took last year? Joshua Primo. That's right. They took Joshua Primo last year. Uh, what did Joshua Primo do last season in the NBA? Let, let's Google that. It's, it's Joshua Primo. It's... God, I mean, what is what is this? Uh, 5.8 points per game, shooting 37% from the field. Yeah, San Antonio is just getting dudes that, that you know, <laughs> San Antonio is just getting guys that can fill the bench, which is usually what you get at pick 12 or pick 13. Like, there's not that many Tyler Heroes or Donovan Mitchells or Devin Bookers, or now that I think about it, there's usually about one a year in the middle of the draft who turns into an all-star. Phoenix just keeps drafting Lonnie Walkers and Josh Primos and 
uh, Devin vassals that don't bring any value to the Sacramento Kings, but because they have DeJounte Murray and, uh, well, they had Derek White, and they have, who else is San Antonio? Who's part of that young core? I'm trying to remember now. Well, I guess they have Josh Richardson now, but San Antonio pretty much is, is just trying to get lucky eventually. If you stay in the lottery long enough, eventually you're going to get the odds fall your way. Because think about it this way. San Antonio this year is looking at a... 20% chance of getting into the top four picks. So theoretically, like it, the top four picks usually all work out unless you, you make the mistake of taking a Devin Vassal type of player at the top. They might not all turn into all-stars or tier three all-stars or generational guys. The top four picks in every draft usually work out well. Like James Wiseman, hasn't worked out great for Golden State. You go look at the rest of the 2020 draft class. So it's Ant-Man at pick number one. It's LaMelo Ball at pick number three. And it's Patrick Williams at pick number four. And even Patrick Williams was a little bit of a reach. And Isaac Okoro at pick five has turned into a pretty good basketball player, even though we laughed about it on draft day. Onyeka Okongwu played big minutes for, for the Atlanta Hawks. So like usually... The top four picks are incredibly talented and they work out in some capacity. Throw it back to, to 2019. Obviously, Zion Williamson, Ja Morant. Next was R.J. Barrett. And while R.J. Barrett like isn't those two, R.J. Barrett still scores 20 points a game on a team that made the playoffs last year and was close to the playoffs this year. DeAndre Hunter is a 20-a-game scorer who plays really good defense and is the third best player on the Hawks who have, you know... I, last year would have, should have made the second round of the playoffs and lost to 76ers. 76ers choke. They make the conference finals. This year, they were an eight seed, technically a playoff team. Still the third best player on that team. Darius Garland, obviously an all-star. So, like, getting a top five pick, it, it does change the fortunes of your team in some capacity. Obviously, Marvin Bagley is the one exception for Sacramento, and it's how Sacramento, like, still is in the lottery for the 16th consecutive year. Rest of the class, DeAndre Ayton, Luka Doncic, Jaron Jackson, Trey Young, all of those guys are at least all-star caliber players. And this year's kind of the same idea, which is you have four guys who are regarded as like the best players in the draft class who who might not be like none, none of them we think are like surefire hits. At the same time, Jabari Smith from Auburn, Jaden Ivey from Purdue, Paolo Boncaro from Duke, and Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga. Those four are viewed as like, they're going to be really good players in the NBA. Might not all be all-stars. San Antonio, like, San Antonio, there's so few all-stars in some conferences that, like, DeJounte Murray making an all-star team feels like a big deal. He's just the best player on a team that was competitive. And sometimes that's all it takes to make an all-star team, is being a number one on a competitive team. DeJounte Murray almost won most improved player. So, like, getting a top four pick is really important to some of these teams and important to draft lottery odds and all this stuff. So, Getting a top pick does change the fortunes of your team. It's it's the most proven commodity is year with a generational talent getting the top pick in the draft. So it's fun if you're one of these teams and if you're say San Antonio as an example, San Antonio has a, a one in five chance 
of getting the number one pick. And this is now their fourth consecutive year, third consecutive year, third consecutive year in the draft lottery. So three straight years in the lottery for San Antonio. And the year before that, they were a seven seed. So like, it wasn't like they were thriving before that third straight year in the lottery for San Antonio. Eventually the odds are going to go your way. Statistically speaking, like if they've had higher picks before, cause they, they weren't, uh, what is it? Ninth best odds. Uh, yeah. Ninth best odds. They were 11 in 2020. They were 12 last year, but like ballpark, if you have 20% chance, if you try for five years, eventually you're going to get the luck. It worked out for Charlotte. It's worked out for Chicago one time, even though Chicago is like the best example you can think of of just shit luck in the draft lottery. They had second best odds and they fell to pick six. They had um, third best odds one year and they fell to pick six again or pick whatever pick they drafted Kobe White at. I think that was pick seven. They had like the five pick and fell to seven. Chicago had like some shit luck in the lottery and they still ended up one year getting Patrick Williams. Like they, they got up to pick four and still were able to get Patrick Williams. So like eventually luck is going to turn your way if you're there long enough. Now, if you're Sacramento, you, you mess up the picks once you get the good luck. Still Sacramento's case, they have like a 32% chance of getting the number one pick in the draft. That's basically one in three odds. Sacramento, if you stay there long enough, like three years ago now, you got Marvin Bagley. So maybe this is the third year where you get a top pick also in the draft. Like statistically speaking, eventually you're going to get the luck that conveys at least one pick. It's not going to turn into a stud. If you look at Cleveland, who's another good example from past years, Cleveland went from second best odds down to five and they got Isaac Okoro in 2020. They were considered the losers of the draft, and they still got Isaac Okoro. Or in 2019, they went from like four to five in the lottery odds and got Darius Garland, and they were like viewed as losers of the draft lottery. But like that turned out pretty damn good to end up with Darius Garland. Even if Darius Garland isn't Zion Williamson, like it still gets you something to be excited about. So in that way, like Cleveland's viewed as a loser in the lottery by getting the fifth pick or getting Colin Sexton with pick seven or eight in 2018, like Cleveland's viewed as a loser because the picks fall there. But like eventually you get lucky enough if you stay at the top of the draft long enough that you're going to get talented players. Because like we said, of the worst top five picks of the last four years, it's like, okay, Marvin Bagley pretty damn bad then it's like okay James Wiseman pretty damn bad pick after that it's like Jalen Suggs okay that's not great then you then you keep going through it it's like who's next on the list like is it Patrick Williams like Patrick Williams has at least the potential to become an all-star sometime in the near future if you go back to like 2018 like is the next worst guy Jaron Jackson because like Jaron Jackson is like a borderline all-star and there's like maybe it's RJ Barrett or DeAndre Hunter like all these guys are like top 50 players in the NBA and your best odds are getting that top pick it's why you haven't seen top picks get traded as much in years past like 2019 none of the top five picks got traded 2020 none of the top five picks got traded last year 
Uh, none of the top picks, none of the top like 17 or like top 10 picks got traded. I mean, like they were traded for like star players, but they weren't traded on draft day. Like the, the Warriors got the pick for D'Angelo Russell or the Orlando Magic got the pick for Vucevic. Like none of these picks actually get traded all that much especially like now that people understand the values of those generational guys at the top of the draft you have to usually give up a bona fide player like Anthony Davis in order to get a top five draft pick or in the case of the Pelicans possibly two top five draft picks at at the very top of the draft so then none of the teams that want to get to the top have bona fide picks so like I mentioned OKC last year by the way we're getting close to the lottery here I didn't think this would go on as long as it did but like I love the draft lottery so freaking much. If you're OKC, like Oklahoma City in 2021 had the fourth best odd or third best odds similar to this year, and they fell to pick six, which remember we said with Detroit, like the third best odds, the most probable place for you to fall is pick six. Like of the singular options, that's the most likely one that you end up in. Now, if you if you bundle them all together, that's not the case. But like, if you're Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City ending up with the six pick last year, they got Josh Giddy, and Josh Giddy is a fine player and a fi- like a good pickup for them. At the same time, like Josh Giddy is going to be similar to DeAndre Hunter, like the fourth best player on a team that actually competes in the West. They tried to go get Cade Cunningham last year. They tried to go get Jalen Green, and they just didn't have the pieces because they didn't have an all-star already on the team. And maybe like if Joel Embiid requests a trade this offseason or Donovan Mitchell requests a trade this offseason, maybe you see top picks get traded in that way. But even like a Sabonis, even for Sabonis... He didn't even command, and he's a former all-star. He didn't even, I mean, Tyrese Halliburton's a former lottery pick who looks like he's pretty good, but he didn't command any draft capital in that trade. And so it's interesting to see how that plays out for like Sacramento or Oklahoma City because those teams that are really bad really are banking on those draft picks. Houston last year, their pick almost went to Oklahoma City if they hadn't had the best lottery odds for the second year in a row. And they got pick number two. They didn't even get pick number one. They just needed to stay in the top four to keep their picks. Houston, like, they got Jalen Green. They really are trying to build that core through the draft, and they're playing the game of best possible odds. Houston, Orlando, Detroit, and OKC are playing the game of how can we get best possible odds for three to four years at the top of the draft and increase our chances to hit on picks. The same idea Sam Hinkie was talking about when he died for your sins and drafted Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and, unfortunately, Jalil Okafor over Kristaps Porzingis or, uh, who was the other guy? Um, Jason Tate, Markel Fultz over Jason Tatum was Colangelo, but still. Like, trading Drew Holiday for Nerland's Noel, or whatever you want to call it. Like, it didn't work out the way that it was intended to work out on most of them. At the same time, Joel Embiid is the thing that all of these teams are trying to get. There might not be a Joel Embiid in this draft class, or at least if there is, we don't know who it is. Maybe it's Jabari Smith, maybe it's Boncaro, maybe it's Jaden Ive. Like, we just don't know who it is. It's not as, like, dead set as it is in past years. Like... 
getting Jalen Green is a pretty damn good start. Orlando, getting Franz Wagner is like an okay piece. They really need to hit on that pick this year. So those teams are interesting because they're at the very top. Everyone else is like, can we just strike a little gold? Can we just strike a little gold, strike a little luck at the top of the draft? It just might work out for us. It's the most wonderful day of the year. Ping pong balls will be falling, the lottery's calling to fill us with cheer. It's the most wonderful day of the year. It's the happiest day of the year. Crappy teams will be praying that picks be conveying to end all their fears on the half happiest day of the year. All right, everybody, it is time for the NBA draft lottery. They are at the commercial break right before the draft lottery kicks off for the first time in the history of the Take It Easy podcast. We have live NBA draft lottery coverage, my favorite day of the year, a very fun event that you all will get to hear live on this podcast after I have done about 40 minutes of rambling about how interesting I think the NBA draft lottery is. I kind of forgot that like in the post-Zion world, ESPN has kind of figured out how to do the draft lottery in like a formulaic way. Like they don't take a lot of chances in terms of their analysis. They're like, let's invite a few of the top prospects. So like it was Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren and Paolo Banquero. Let's invite them to the lottery. And then we'll talk about Damian Lillard and David Robinson being the guest hosts and you know, we'll get our B team to to host the studio show because everyone on the A team is at the lottery. They've kind of got this down to a formula now, which is fine when it works. Like, I think inside the NBA is kind of fine as it is. Like, the formula works, even if some people, like, complain about how it's the same show it was 10 years ago. And it's become kind of formulaic in terms of how they do it. The sh- I, I'm okay with formulaic as long as it works. And... The lottery, it could be worse. I remember when the lottery was like a, a bonus coverage content during the the pregame show. And then they realized, I guess as, as everyone kind of realized and I realized, like I love the draft lottery and it can be a spectacle and an event the same way that the NFL schedule release can be an event, even though the schedule release isn't uh, as important as, say, the NBA draft lottery. But I love playing the draft lottery game. And so we can all play the game together with each other this year it's weird that i've dedicated 40 minutes to this event really closer to like 45 minutes now i've dedicated a full podcast to the lottery and haven't talked at all about the eastern conference finals between the the miami heat and the boston celtics which is literally what the lottery is pregame for the lottery is the pregame for that Conference Finals Game 1. Conference Finals Game 1, by the way, where Al Horford is out. Al Horford is out. He has got the COVID protocol going on for the Boston Celtics. And Marcus Smart still battling injury, all that stuff. It is uh, a tough-looking situation for the uh, 
tough looking situation for the Boston Celtics. But again, like we're not going to get the post game coverage of this. Usually on Tuesdays, I have to record beforehand, and we're pushing it a little close with the with the draft lottery in terms of when I got to get this completed. And at the same time, you know, it's interesting how the uh, the NBA draft lottery is preceding a game that might end up being like a series change like as much as we talk about the NBA playoffs like a series altering thing of Al Horford might be out for a while and Marcus Smart is out and Robert Williams can play but Robert Williams isn't exactly healthy and Miami's super deep people want to argue Boston is super deep with with Grant Williams when Grant Williams was a punchline like not that long ago and in fairness it's the same thing that happened with like KCP where Contavious Caldwell Pope ended up being picked he got picked on by the internet and then ended up becoming the third best player on a championship team and then he got the universal respect so maybe that's how role players kind of have developed there but like Miami goes nine deep and all nine are really really good and they even sit Duncan Robinson at times because Duncan Robinson you know he's not the most reliable but he's it's not like he's a scrub so yeah, no Al Horford, no Marcus Smart, injured Robert Williams. This this is how Miami gets advantage of this. And by the way, Boston's a favorite in the series. So I guess this would be like 2020 and 2021 where Boston is technically supposed to beat Miami and then might end up losing. I don't know, Miami might get the same good break that like Phoenix got last year when everyone called Phoenix a fraud because Miami's a, a second-round exit kind of team. And uh, I think Miami's probably gonna win this game one it's gonna age quite poorly I'm kind of just filling time as they go through the the list of representatives where you have Damian Lillard there for the Portland Trailblazers and uh yeah they're, they're just Al Horford Al Horford got COVID and also we know Jalen Brown is uh Jalen Brown is also anti-vax it's a, it's an open door secret pretty much like Jalen Brown is not vocal about being anti-vax but we know Jalen Brown is anti-vax at this point and it is an interesting situation the 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 i mean again i just again the the thing i do crossing the mind there is like al horford gets covid probably te- like was around the rest of the guys and that means everyone else is at an increased chance of catching covid i don't know we'll see what ends up happening with that but anyways they're doing the draft lottery talk before game 1 of an eastern conference finals that we will not get to cover on this here fine podcast. Now we get to play the fun game of who's everyone's representative. Cavs, Anderson Verajao. Hornets went lame and just took PJ Washington. Uh, who's next? Knicks, Worldwide West, got to be the Knicks representative for the lottery. Uh, Wes Unseld Jr., head coach of the team. Wow, they went really creative. David Robinson, legendary star. I'm surprised he's willing to do that, but you know, San Antonio's got that type of relationship. Swin Cash for the Horn for the Pelicans. Oh, I didn't know Swin Cash worked for the Pelicans. That's pretty cool. Vice President Basketball Operations. Pretty cool. And I didn't know that that was a thing. Uh, Sacramento, Demodis Sabonis wearing the sexy vest. Shout out to Sabonis for the vest. Ooh. Love that. Sacramento, let's go. Get the lottery ping pong balls so that they can mess up the pick somehow. Damian Lillard, uh, Kelly Krauskop. She's the assistant general manager for the Pacers, apparently. Cool. Uh, Nick Collison. Okay. Nick Collison, jersey retired by OKC. Fun fact. Oh, that's they just combined it and said 14% chance at the number one pick for OKC. So OKC's got the same odds as uh, 
as everyone else to get the number one pick. Rip Hamilton for the Pistons. I forgot who did it for the Pistons last year when they won. Uh, Jamal Mosley, the head coach of the Magic, and the general manager of the Rockets. Cool. Okay. All right, here we go. This is the fun part. Now we get to do the numbers. So let's figure it out pretty quick. So we know the first one's going to be Cleveland. Well, actually, we got a second. They got to have Mark Tatum walk up first and do the envelopes. But uh, we got we to gotta wait a second before they start the lottery here. Okay, so Sacramento's what, 7.5%? Yeah, 7.5%. Technically, the top four, all 14. That's a good way of phrasing it, just sake of simplicity. There's a 56% chance that one of those teams gets the top pick. All right, there's Mark Tatum. Now we get to play the fun game of the NBA Draft Lottery. Let's go. All right, 14 is going to be Cleveland. Let's see who it is. Okay, it's Cleveland. Next one should be Charlotte. 13. Charlotte, okay. So everything's normal so far. Next one, OKC. Should be OKC. If not, OKC's in the top 10. Okay, it's Oklahoma, or top four. Okay, it's Oklahoma City. Next up is, oh, Knicks. Okay, let's see if the Knicks get hella lucky. Nope, no, they did not. <laughs> Mark Tatum, it's stuck to the envelope. All right, Knicks at 11. That was pretty much what we thought was going to happen. Okay, Washington. Okay, it's Washington. Washington's 10. Okay, next up is Spurs. Nothing weird yet. It's good for the other teams. Okay, Spurs. Okay, it's the Spurs. Damn, bad luck, San Antonio. I spent 20 minutes talking about them, and they didn't even get lucky. All right, Lakers, or Pelicans, Pelicans. Okay, it's the Pelicans. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so next, no switches yet. Sacramento, come on, Kings. Odds are getting better for the Kings. 20, 27% chance, come on. Yeah, Sacramento, let's go! Sacramento jumped into the top 10. Portland just fell down one spot. Okay, so Portland's seven now. Okay, Sacramento jumped into the top. Nice. Okay, Indiana's next. Okay, it's Indiana. Indiana six. All right. This could be anyone. This could literally be anyone. Oh my gosh. Okay, it's the Pacers at six. Who's not getting a top pick? Rockets, Magic, Pistons. Oh, it's the Pistons. Oh, rough break. Oh shit oh god okay so pistons lost the the pistons okay so so remember how we said before how everyone had the same probabilities of getting at the top so in this situation the the kings jumped into the top four shout out sacramento they're finally going to get a generational guy who they will automatically fuck up but anyways so sacramento jumped into the top and then the pacers filled in at six and so when they when they were doing the lottery and there was one spot left it was basically like okay it's a 50 50 chance all of those teams end up in the top four it's like 52 percent for the rockets 51 percent for orlando oh actually orlando houston and detroit it was the same amount so it was 52 percent chance for orlando houston and detroit and then OKC, it was about 46% chance. Or sorry, what did that? Uh, f 51. So basically, 
40, 48, 48, 48, 51 chance, which is pretty close to even. But like Houston, Orlando, Detroit, and OKC basically had the same odds at the last pick. And that was super duper exciting. That was super exciting that they all had a chance to miss out. Like, it was equal probability on the last pick. Sacramento jumped into the top four. Oh, that's so freaking cool. Oh, my God. That was so awesome. Sacramento got to jump into the top four. Portland and Indiana tanked this season, and they don't get the picks to show for it, but maybe Sacramento's going to F things up. Sacramento is subscribing to the rule. If you stay shitty long enough, eventually you're going to get a top pick because they got, what, Halliburton with pick 11, Last year, I can't remember what pick they had in the draft, but it, you know, it wasn't super high in the draft. Who did Sacramento pick last year? I don't even remember. Sacramento took, oh, Davion Mitchell. That's right. So they had nine last year. They had 11 the year before. This was their worst year. They jumped up to seven and they got lucky in the lottery. Sacramento had, what did we say? One in three chance to get in the top four. Sacramento got into the top four. Pistons just happen to be the unlucky team this year. OKC, if you stay at the top of the lottery long enough, eventually you'll get lucky and get a top pick. Congratulations, OKC. OKC last year was the big losers of the lottery. They had, what, like the sixth pick and the... uh, They didn't get their pick conveyed from the Rockets. So, you know, they, they this year they got a little lucky. Rockets doing tanking effectively. Rockets had the best odds the last couple of years. They get in the top four both years. Pretty damn good for the Rockets. Things worked out pretty well for them. Oh, Sacramento. Let's go, Sacramento. Got Let's put on the Kings hat real quick. Let me let me go grab the Kings hat so that we can uh, we can celebrate properly the possibility of the Kings getting a top draft pick. These these lovable losers. So great, so great, so great. Okay, so we're going to the final four picks. They had to do a commercial break in between to build tension. This is the point where New York Knicks fans got to be incredibly sad, but. This is also, I think if you're you're Orlando or Houston or OKC, just relief, man. Like, your teams, I hope those teams aren't watching any of their games. Like, those teams are just so bad. By the way, if you're Orlando also, I know we didn't talk about them earlier, but, like, the thing I find fascinating about Orlando is they, they got Dwight Howard in 2004, then flipped him for essentially Vucevic in 2012, and then flipped Vucevic for Franz Wagner last year. And I don't think Franz Wagner is going to turn into an all-star, but they're also bad enough these next couple of years to get the draft picks that build another team back up. So like they messed up some of those picks with Alfred Payton and Aaron Gordon, but it still turned out okay. Like in the, in the grand scheme of things, I'm just interested by how that played out for them. Uh, but anyways, so they're coming back for the final set of picks it's Houston, Orlando, Sacramento, and the Thunder. Let's see what happens. Fourth pick goes to the Kings. Okay, Kings get the fourth pick. Sacramento gets pick four. Third pick, Rockets. Interesting. Okay, Rockets get three. Second pick... OKC first pick Orlando Orlando Magic 
Oh, we got to play the song, the 90s anthem for the Orlando Magic. We got to play that right now. I mean, shit, I was talking about how interesting it was that the Orlando Magic could get the number one pick and how that builds off of, like, what Dwight Howard was and flipping him for Vucevic. And, you know, they weren't championship contenders. They built a team that made the playoffs, like, two, three years in a row. I guess two years in a row, back in the 2018-19 period. I guess 2020 also. They were in the playoffs during the bubble. So, like, they built a team that was competitive then, with enough top picks to get them back to like not the top of the lottery and win a division title and like have something interesting to care about instead of like going 10 to 15 years like the Kings without making the playoffs like they didn't mismanage this thing I love to joke that the Orlando Magic traded Dwight Howard for Nikola Vucevic and ended up getting a playoff victory before the Lakers did It's weird how that worked out. It just happened to be. They only won two playoff games with Vucevic and Aaron Gordon and the core of that team. It's still interesting that they they like tore it down. Two years later, you have five-pick Jalen Suggs, eight-pick Franz Wagner. Cole Anthony was a steal in the middle of the draft, and now you get the number one pick in the draft. Whether (laughs) Pick Jabari Smith and pair him with, uh, what is it, Chuma um, Chuma Okiki? I forgot what his name was, but... The guy who tore his ACL and they still took him with like the 20th pick in the draft. Like, just get all of the Auburn boys back together or pick Chet Holmgren and him and Franz Wagner will just be two like freakish guys. If you if you subscribe to the process idea, you, you take Franz Wagner and Chet Holmgren and just say one of them will turn into a generational star. Maybe, you know, just, just maybe it'll work out. Let's see. Houston's got the three pick. OKC's got the two. Ooh, OKC. Oh, Chet on OKC would be fun. Chet Chet playing for OKC would be like a fun building block because this is like what OKC's like counting on for years and years of losing. And Sacramento at four. Sacramento's just going to get whoever falls, I guess, and maybe mess it up and take like a, I don't know, Keegan Murray or something. I don't know. They'll, they'll mess it up somehow, but they don't, they don't get a generational talent at the top of the draft. They get the, the ability to mess up whatever good things come to them. But it's the highest pick they've had since Bagley, so it's a step. They traded Halliburton for, uh, what is it now? Oh, they're going to take another Bagley type, I assume, but they traded Halliburton for Sabonis. They've got Sabonis, De'Aaron Fox, um, Javian Mitchell at guard also. I don't know. They'll just take a BPA maybe. Who knows? Sacramento will mess it up somehow, like I said. Anyways, that's that's our 
2022 draft lottery coverage in advance of a Miami Heat Boston Celtics game where Al Horford's not going to play and Marcus Smart's not going to play and the Heat probably win. But that's our coverage, people. Now, let's talk some NFL legal expertise with our friend over at the Auction Brief podcast, Drew Davenport. It's the most wonderful day of the year. Ping pong balls will be falling, the lottery's calling to fill us with cheer. It's the most wonderful day of the year. It's the happiest day of the year. Crappy teams will be praying that picks be conveying to end all their fears on the happiest day of the year. Hello? Hey, how's it going? Hello, Drew. How are you doing? Not too bad. Good to good to meet you for the first time. Yeah, nice to meet you too. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate the invite. Yeah, of course. So... I guess for people listening, this is Drew Davenport. He's a new friend of the show, and he does a fantasy football podcast, but he's also a 20-year practicing criminal defense attorney. And so I found his uh, his excellent Twitter thread talking about the Jerry Judy situation that dropped kind of as a Friday news dump. Like, I guess some it kind of like was a big story for a couple hours and then kind of disappeared a little bit. But um, during that time, I found a very interesting thread explaining some of the legal stuff. So Drew, I just, I'll turn it over to you as, as the legal expert. Cause sometimes I, I complain on the podcast trying to do the, the moralizing and legal stuff. I don't have real legal expertise. I just have like reading things about legal expertise and a base level knowledge. So it's good to have someone who, who knows football and knows the legal stuff. Yeah, for sure. What do you want to talk about? Well, so the first part with Judy, so the development on Saturday was that he was released and they want the misdemeanor charge dropped. And Mm -hmm. we learned that the case was more of he was locking property of his girlfriend in his car and the police were called more to intervene. So I guess going off the thread you had on Saturday, um, One of the what were the interesting developments you found after the news story kind of disappeared after the initial Jerry Judy has been arrested and and that was kind of going viral. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it understandably had people nervous because the word domestic, uh, the words domestic violence were thrown around, and we didn't know the details. And so, as you know, is often the case, people want to rush to to get their take out there and to hey, should I be selling a dynasty and it just goes way too fast. We didn't know any of the details. We knew there was the domestic violence component to it. But then um, we started to find out later in the day as things developed that there wasn't any violence involved, but they had used the domestic violence enhancement in the state of Colorado because that was mandatory because these two individuals have a child together. So it's just a relationship by law that makes Colorado have to enhance the charge. So rather than it being a violent situation, it just was more of a legal, um, it's not, I don't want to say technicality, that's a bad way to say it, but a legal distinction. Hey, this was a, involved domestic um, uh, relationship. So 
we found that out and then we find out, hey, this might just be property thing. There's no actual violence involved. And then the main stuff that I reported on Saturday happened at the bond hearing the next day. So they, uh, by Colorado law, he was forced to be um, held overnight without a, without a bond. So he couldn't bond out of jail. He had to sit overnight in jail until he could see a judge and the judge could assess the situation. There's a very good reason for that in general. I don't, I don't need to go into that here, but they do that so that when there's an actual serious violent domestic violence situation, the people have time to cool off overnight and the judge can assess what's the danger level, what kind of protection order should be in place, stuff like that. In Judy's case, he just kind of got caught by the Colorado law because he couldn't bond out and it really wasn't a violent situation. We found that out at the hearing the next morning and uh, we found out from the victim that she wants the the charges dropped. Now, it's not appropriate for the judge to do that at the bond hearing, but we found out that she wanted the charges dropped. And also she told the judge, I'm not afraid of him. I don't really want a protection order. So, and the judge confirmed too, that there was no physical violence. So all that stuff that came out at the bond hearing was really nice to hear as far, if you're thinking about Judy's fantasy prospects. And so that's the video I put out on TikTok and the thread I put out on Twitter was just that I think that we can be pretty confident going forward. I don't see any ramifications coming for Judy through the league. If it would be, it'd be something small like one game or something like that. But I don't even see that happening. I think this is going to be played down to something uh, a little more um, palatable or dismissed altogether, and he'll be fine going forward for fantasy. During, during your thread, you made an important distinction that I wanted to point out. I think it was number nine on, on the thread, but you were talking about how um, you caution everyone not to judge the woman or Judy because the situations are really only about what we know within context. And I thought that was an important distinction from you as, as a legal analyst talking about the situation is that we only have this one incident to, to build off of instead of like actually knowing the people. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important. And, and that comes from doing my job every day that I, I see domestic violence cases every day. And there is, always when, whenever my client sits down in front of me and they want to start talking about the case it's always well three weeks ago he said this or she did this and then that was because six months ago his mom said this so you see what i mean there there's always a long-standing sort of like tapestry of the relationships that's woven together we have no idea what came before this so it's really not important for us to like rush to a judgment or say, hey, he's wrong or she's wrong. That's not really our job. Our job is just to say, what are the facts? What's he facing? And then all that other stuff, you know, that's really just kind of like clickbait stuff that we don't really need to concern ourselves with. And and we don't know. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes between the two of them. Nobody does but the two of them. And do you feel like football fans at times are like unequipped to have those types of conversations? Or is it because it's, it's just we hear about big incidents and then maybe don't follow up on it enough? Or do you think we're getting better at these types of conversations? Well, honestly, not, not, to, um, not to be a cop out there, but I think all three things you just said are true. I think we are getting better at having these conversations because people are more aware of how prevalent this kind of thing is. And it's becoming more um, of a... a, a there's more awareness among football fans about how to talk about this stuff. Um, but I think too, that, that sometimes football fans tend to forget when they're playing the game of fantasy, that these are people and that these are complex situations. Everything seems super simple at first blush. There's always complicating factors. And I'll point you to the, the James, or excuse me, the Dalvin cook case 
where you know there were so many different things going on in that case and what we knew in the first six hours or 12 hours or 24 hours doesn't touch this you know, scratch the surface of what's going on in that case so it's just important to to keep remembering and just keep checking yourself and saying we don't know everything it's not our job to judge and know everything so in regards to the Dalvin Cook situation, do you know some of the details that have come to light in the past six months? Because I remember we did a, an episode back in November about intimate partner violence and this situation and the way that it was initially covered, especially by like Adam Schefter and NFL reporters. And we didn't really follow up on it much. So have there been new details that have come to light around the situation? Well, I don't know how new people are looking for. Um, there was a lot of stuff that came out in December because Cook filed his answer to her complaint. And then he also filed his own lawsuit in a separate district, which is a whole different story, separate district court. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of details that came out in his his case or in his filing. One of those was um, he had an affidavit of somebody close to him that was friends with her. And so she had a lot of details about um, the things that the woman would say to her. And I, I believe it was Cook's grandmother. In fact, I got to go back and look at the filing to make sure. So don't quote me on that, but I think it was Cook's grandmother. But she was really good friends with this woman. And the grandmother testified that, you know, this woman was saying that she was super injured, but then she was out partying in Miami and, and then saying uh, that she was just in this for the money and stuff like that. So there's been a lot of details that are alleged. We don't know that those are facts. So, big difference there but there's a lot of details in those complaints i urge you to go look them up if if that interests you at all but i did a pretty extensive tweet thread about the cook response and, and his own lawsuit that had a lot of stuff in it but you know not much has happened since december there's been some legal maneuverings and things like that but not a whole lot's going on since december and we're in may already do you think that this is more of like a, a legal process is going slowly or there isn't really much that the courts can do in terms of proving some sort of culpability? No, it's just how it's going because it's a complicated case. And they've had a couple motions on um, different like jurisdictional and procedural things, which are pretty boring. But like when Cook filed his other suit in the other district court, that held things up for a little bit because then the original filing, the original court had to say, all right, well, what are we doing with this other case? And there's extensive Minnesota case law that says basically the first filing is the one you're going to deal with first, but that holds things up. You got to set a hearing date and then the parties brief the issue and submit it to the court. And then the court has to make a ruling. And so we're just, you know, we're just scratching the surface of this case. It's a complicated case. I have never seen a set of facts. Uh, I shouldn't say never. I haven't seen a set of facts like this in a long time. We kind of joke around about it in the legal community. When you go to law school, the the exams are written by people who try to write them like right down the middle. So you have arguments on both sides of the case. That's how the Cook case appears to me. There are a lot of facts on both sides of this case. It's a really interesting study. I'm 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 interested to see how it turns out. But the the upshot of that is that I think that it's going to be very hard for the league to say, hey. Dalvin Cook did something wrong here if the facts are as convoluted as they seem to be. So I'm not as worried about Cook's case as I was when it first came out. Does it feel like more of a, a classic, like he said, she said situation, and then they're both filing lawsuits at the same time, and, and that's kind of yeah. muddied the water a little bit? Yeah, very much. And, and what Cook did, and, and it's a smart thing to do from his legal 
uh, team was he pushed back immediately on all the narratives that she was running in her case. He pushed back right away and said, no, this is our version. And that was really smart because the NFL has shown us that they don't want to step in and substitute their judgment for the court's judgment. So what they're going to do is just wait on the court to handle this. If it was real obvious one way or another, if Cook just sat down and was like, yeah, my bad, sorry about that, maybe he'd be in more trouble. But he's pushing back. He's he's saying, no, this isn't accurate. He's doing a great job. I don't know what the truth of what happened here is, but, yes, there's a lot of he said, she said, because a lot of what's involved with this case is the history of their relationship and the alleged abuse that's happened through the history of the relationship. That's different from a criminal case where – you have one particular incident that you're focused on. The civil cases, the allegations in them can can they can talk about all the stuff from their relationship because it's all relevant as to whether or not the person is liable for whatever damage they're seeking. So in the case of the NFL choosing not to overstep where, where the legal situation is, do you think that the more likely scenario is that they let it play all the way out and then end up deciding on some sort of punishment or or lack thereof, possibly? Yes, exactly. They, I, I don't see any way in the Cook case that they're stepping in here unless some bombshell comes out. Uh, obviously, when I talk about these cases, I'm talking about them as I see them right now on May 15th. Obviously, there could be a bombshell or a recording or just something that comes out that changes things. But right now, I don't see the NFL doing anything until this case is over. I don't see this case being over for another year uh, you know, or a year plus. And even then, I just can't see the NFL stepping in and really – hit and cook for this at all unless you know some stuff comes out during the trial that's nasty we've also noticed like i think in the last like four to five years really since adrian peterson it feels like the nfl has been really hesitant about using the administrative leave list or the exempt list it's it's been for very sparing situations that they kind of put people on paid leave. It's more the ones that I think get more of a a national news coverage than say the Dalvin cook case where there's a lot of legal hurdles to overcome and there's a a back and forth in it. And really we haven't heard much about the case really in about five months, like you said. Yeah. Nobody in the mainstream media is really sticking with the cook case. And part of that is because it's just a lot of boring procedural stuff. They haven't really got into the, meat of the case yet there. And, and you, as someone who's seen hundreds and possibly thousands of these cases, it, it, does it seem more like standard operating procedure for a case like this? Yep. It's going very normally. There's nothing really that wild. The fact pattern's crazy to me. Uh, <laughs> and the number of you know things that happen to the relationship is pretty wild. But no, um, as far as the civil case and the procedure, the process, the timing, it's all pretty standard. All right. I do want to ask you fantasy football questions because sure. you, you are a football person and you've been very helpful with the legal analysis. So um, how do you feel about Brees Hall going into next year? Because I've seen a lot of people with different opinions about how he's going to fit into the Jets offense. He's the number one running back taken in the draft this year. How do you feel about that? Well, gosh, I, I, I like him not as much as everyone else does. You know, I think that you got to we understand that Michael Carter is a nice player, but there isn't a long history of fourth-round running backs holding off first-round running backs. That kind of, you know, I just I'm not, um, I'm not. <laughs> Here's my problem. My problem is it's still the Jets to me, and I think maybe that's um, a bit of a, a a weak opinion because they have loaded up and they are trying very hard to turn this situation around. But I'm not convinced Zach Wilson is the answer. And as a result, 
I just don't know how much we should rely on Brees Hall to be the guy he is being drafted where he is. I have no problem taking a shot on him, and it's going to be easier for me in auction drafts to draft Brees Hall because I think I can get him a little bit cheaper and maybe have him as my even my RB4. If not my RB3, I don't have to rely on him, and he's a nice you know upside guy to play. But in snake drafts where he's being drafted, I just – I'm not in on it uh, at his current price, and I can only see that rising through the summer. How do you feel about Leonard Fournette going into next year? Because I, I feel like that's a player who's always considered high value ever since he got to Tampa, but now he's obviously highly paid. Ronald Jones is gone. Do you think that people are going to overvalue him going into next year? It's possible. So when I was doing some early mocks a month or two ago, uh, this is right uh, – right after Brady came back. And I, I was saying all along that if Brady was going to be there, if you watched any Tampa Bay games last year, they didn't just use Fournette as a check down guy. They would drop back on first and second down and throw the ball to Fournette as their first option. And Brady likes that kind of play. It was clear that was something that he wanted to do. I still think that's going to be the case. Now, when I started drafting with Fournette after Brady came back, he was pretty cheap. And I'm when I say cheap, I was, you know, fourth, fifth round, uh, sometimes even later. But that's creeping up there. I've been seeing third round Fournette. It makes me a little nervous to get him to push him up much past third round. I'm okay in the third round. Um, I think that as the summer goes on, though, the tendency for fantasy drafters, especially in redraft season, is to push those uh, running backs up the board, especially the guys who want to catch passes. And Fournette caught 69 balls last year, something like that. So I think his ADP is going to continue to rise, and that's going to bother me because I really don't want to be taking second-round Leonard Fournette. Love him in the third or later um, because I do think he is going to still have a, a nice pass-catching role because Brady trusts him. Do you think there's any first-round wide receivers this year, or if so, like how many of them are first-rounders? There's quite a few. I, I'm, I'm a guy who, when you talk to me, I'm not going to draft running backs just to do it because they're scarce. So I'm really off some of these guys that people like. Uh, I'm not a big Derrick Henry guy. You know, there, there's just some players that I really don't want to touch in the first round at the running back spot. So to answer your question, that slides wide receivers way up the board for me. So, yeah, I, lo I love Cooper Cup. I take Cooper Cup anywhere uh, after, you know, from the two hole down. I'll, I'll take him in the two spot, and I've done that, a lot of that in best ball. Um, I would take um, – I'm fine with Jefferson in the first round. I'm fine with Chase in the first round. I was a big Adams guy, um, but I think that Adams and Tyreek Hill, who were former first-round guys for me, they're second round now. I'm still fine with them in the second round. Um, Adams a little more than Hill. But, yeah, uh, I think probably those three guys are my three first-round wide receivers. Okay. Does Kelsey fall more second round? Yeah, he's second round for me this year. I. I understand the arguments uh, from last year about having him in the first, but I still like him in the second. I actually got a little pushback. I do a mock auction once a month with some other analysts to just kind of track ADP. We start it in March, and then we go through August to see how things change. And I started with Kelsey in the second. I went, I think, Najee Harris in the first and then Kelsey in the second. And I got a little pushback from it. Like, ah, oh, he's older, and there's no Ty Tyreek Hill, and et cetera. I still love Kelsey in the second. I'm, I'm absolutely jumping on that, especially I think I was middle of the second. Love Kelsey in the second. Not a first-round guy for me this year, though, no. 
Are there are there any other skill position players on the Chiefs that you like? Because I, I I attested that Kansas City. I know people thought they were going to take wide receivers early. I think with with Hardman and Juju and I guess Sky Moore now a little bit, but I think they have an awesome receiving core going into next year. Yeah, I think the problem for the Chiefs is going to be picking who it's going to be, and and that may I think that may follow through the season as well. I think. You know, Tyreek Hill dominated the targets, obviously, and Kelsey's going to get his targets. But beyond that, it was really hit or miss on who was going to score on in that offense besides those couple of guys. I think that's going to spread out even more. It's going to be even more diffuse between all, all you know, MVS, Juju, Sky Moore. You know, Justin Ross is really exciting. Should he make the team? But I, I think it's going to be hard to predict. I really do. If I had to pick somebody, I'm, I'm in on Juju. At his price, I, I really think that it's kind of odd that nobody wants uh, a guy who's got a hundred catch, hundred and ten catch, fourteen hundred yard season from Ben Roethlisberger. Nobody wants uh, that same guy with Patrick Mahomes. I think that's odd. Uh, so I'd pick Juju as the guy I want, but I do think it's going to be difficult to predict on a week to week basis. Well, if you want all of Andrew's expertise, I guess Drew is is his official name. I see Andrew here. But if you want Drew's expertise, check out the Auction Brief podcast. There's a link to his Twitter in the description to this episode also. If you're looking for some more legal updates around NFL players also, because he does fun little threads of all the legal updates. So uh, I appreciate the time, Andrew, and uh, hope you have an awesome day. Yep. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the invite. Of course. It's the most wonderful day of the year. Ping pong ball will be falling. The lottery's calling to fill us with cheer. It's the most wonderful day of the year. It's the happiest day of the year. Crappy teams will be praying that picks be conveying to end all their fears. On the happiest day of the year.